Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. Series called No Other Gospel. It's actually just a really a walk through the book of Galatians. I, I think it's important that, that as Christ followers that we know the Bible, that we learn the Bible, that we kind of get our mind wrapped around it. And there's this book in the New Testament called Galatians. And it was the Apostle Paul who was this Christian missionary. What he would do is travel all around the Mediterranean rim, establish churches, and then move on. But every once in a while, he'd catch wind of some craziness going on in the church. And so he would write a letter back to the church saying, hey, I heard this was going on. Hey, let me teach you. Let me encourage you. And some of them are really nice and encouraging, like the book of Philippians. Um, Corinthians is a, is, a, is a crazy Greek port city. And so he has to deal with like all kinds of stuff that like if I talked about in church, you would blush. It's that crazy. Um, but the book of Galatians is unique because what he's addressing there is that the people had turned to Christ, had turned to the gospel of grace, had received God's love and mercy and forgiveness and kindness. And then what they decided to do was, is that these guys came in and said, well, yeah, I mean, God's good and God is kind and God's grace. And that's great and all, but you need to do grace and all this other stuff. You need to do grace and keep these rules. You need to have grace and keep these laws. You need to have grace and keep these customs and things of the old, what we call the Old Testament, and then you'll be okay. And Paul's like, wait a minute. That's not at all what we're talking about here. That Jesus plus anything else ruins it. But actually what we do is we focus on Christ alone. Salvation is from Christ alone. And that, that's where it all starts. That's where it all ends. And it's not Jesus plus some other stuff. It's just Jesus. And Jesus is more than enough. And so he gets into correcting some things. And on week one we talked about this idea that Paul introduces. Now, the, the, there's six chapters in the book of Galatians. The first two chapters he just tells a big story of how he received the gospel, how the, the other disciples received the gospel, and how it's all the same. By the time he gets to chapter 3, though, he starts introducing this idea, though, that there's a difference between grace and law. In the Old Testament, they had law. They had 10 commandments. Really, that was a part of 613 total commandments. And then what the law was trying to do is get people to be good. But how many of you know, like, I don't know if you're like this, you've never really been the best rule keeper. And trying to be really, really good, just for goodness sake, like Santa Claus said, you better be good for, you better be, okay. So that, that doesn't work. Being good for goodness sake, that doesn't work. And so that's a failed system. This was really just to keep humanity from killing each other for the last couple thousand years. But what it's always been about is, everybody say grace. And grace is the unearned, undeserved kindness and favor of God towards you. It's free. You can't do anything to jack it up. It's just God's love that overwhelms every good thing and bad thing in your life. That's what grace is. And so he introduces this idea. He goes, you don't want to go back to living in a law system because the law says you've got to be really, really good. And if you're really, really good, then God will like you. Based on my track record, God doesn't like me then, right? Because I've not always been really, really good. I don't even know that right now even I'm really, really good. I'm just kind of good, I think. I'm okay good maybe sometimes, but I'm not really, really good. And so I'm always not going to have God loving me. But grace says that God already loves you to the point that he sent his son to die in your place for your sins so that you could be reconnected and have relationship with God. That's how much he already loves you, regardless of how dysfunctional you are. That's a yeah, perfect place to say amen, that God loves me regardless of how crazy I am. That is the beauty and the wonder of God's love and grace. So it, it, in, 
In the next chapter, though, he explains to you why. In the next chapter, he says the reason why is because God wants to be in relationship with you and make you a son as opposed to a slave. Because slave is slave mentality. You need to live according to the laws, and that's how that works. He goes, we're going down a different road. We're going to go down a road of grace. And the reason why is because God doesn't want slaves. God wants sons. He wants sons and daughters. He wants children. The whole point of everything was for you to be in relationship with your heavenly father. That was the point of everything. He said, so you need to adopt the mentality and have the attitude and the spirit of being a son because you lived completely differently as a son than you do as a slave. Now today, we go down to a different road. So we talked about grace versus law. We talked about sons versus slaves. Today, he introduces in in, in chapter five, a totally new idea that I want to dig into. And really what chapter five is, stay dialed in with me. I know this is a little teaching. In chapter five, what he does is he goes, but wait a minute. I know grace is good, and I know being a son and being in the family is good. Everybody say, but. But don't get, like, there's still some traps that you can fall into. And what he does in the first 12 chapters is he goes, don't fall into the trap of going back into the law. Don't go back into the trap of, well, I got to be really good, then God will like me, and so I'm always living from, because the problem with living in the law is this. You either become arrogant because you think you're a good rule keeper, but you're really not anyway. Because pride's in your heart, therefore you broke the rule anyway, just because you thought you were good at keeping the rule. Do you see the problem with that? And then he goes, the other issue is, is if you're not a good rule keeper, you live in guilt. So either way, you're constantly in pride and guilt and pride and guilt. God doesn't, that's not where God wants you to live. So he wants you to live in grace. But he said, don't go back into the law, live in grace. But... By the time he gets to verse 13, he addresses another trap. So trap number one is this. Trap number one is to slip back into legalism. And I don't, now here's the deal. I could talk about this, but we kind of already talked about it the first two weeks. And, this is just my thought, I don't think this is where most of us are really struggling. <laughs> that was some, I don't know if that was nervous laughter or what that was. I, I don't think most of us are like, you know what, I've been too hard on myself about keeping the rules. And I, I don't think that's most of it. It's not Northern California 21st century. That's my, that's my point. So the second trap that he deals with in chapter 5 is this. It's to, it's to slip into sinfulness because we abuse grace. It's basically this idea that, well, God's always going to forgive me, so I can just do whatever I want. It's this idea. If you've ever been out on a Friday night or Saturday night, whatever your, your out night is, and you've been up in the club, or you've been out with your friends, or you've been up on the brink of doing something crazy, and you consciously thought, ah, oh, it's not a big deal. I'll go to church on Sunday and wash this thing all the way. I'll just ask for God's forgiveness. And he has to forgive me, I think, because I think that grace thing is always in play. And that's the idea. This is the other trap that he begins to address. He goes, don't fall into the trap of taking grace as a license to sin. That's not what grace is for. It's not this get out of hell free pass, go buck wild, let's all just be bananas, right? B-A-N-A-N-S, that's not what he's saying. He goes, no, 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 no. What we want to do is walk in fellowship with God. And I'll show it to you. It it, it works like this. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 5, we'll pick up in verse number 13. Let's dive right in. Um, Let me say a couple things about this this whole text. Number one is this. I've never preached this stuff on a Sunday morning before. This This is though, even though I've never preached on a Sunday morning, this is one of the first texts of scripture that I ever studied as a brand new Christian. Back when I was just probably 17 years old, I started studying this scripture. This scripture is old school to me. 
and I love it dearly. But it was kind of one of those scriptures that I thought, well, everybody knows this. I'm not going to add anything new. People have been preaching this stuff for thousands of years, so like, well, I'll just skip over it. And so I've never addressed it. But I'm telling you, there's some really, really powerful stuff. The other thing I'm going to say about this is today, I'm going to actually do something a little bit different where I go verse by verse breaking it down. I don't normally do that. Normally, we just take on a big topic and we throw out a bunch of ideas around that topic. But today, a little bit different, a little bit of verse by verse. So roll with me. Everybody say, okay. Verse 13 says this, he goes, you, my brothers and sisters, you were called to be free, but don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Everybody say flesh. Rather, serve one another in, 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 in humility, humbly in love. So this is this opening idea where he begins to challenge the trap of don't fall into this trap of abusing grace. He's saying this, God wants you to be free. I just need you to know that. I want you to know as your pastor, I want you to be free. That's my hope, my desire, my prayer. That's why I preach sermons week after week is I'm just trying to move you step by step closer and closer to freedom. But the point of that freedom is not to give you a free pass. It's to give you, I guess here's my point, is that grace doesn't give you a license to sin. What grace actually does is give you a license to love. Let me say that again. Grace doesn't give you a license to sin. Grace gives you a license to love. Watch, watch this. So he says, don't use your freedom to indulge in the flesh, but rather, I say rather, serve one another humbly in love. So, so he's, he's telling you this, that your flesh is your sinful nature. He's not talking about just your body. He's talking about the sinful nature that you were born with. He goes, that's what's inside of you now. But what I want you to know is that you don't indulge the flesh. You don't give in to the flesh, but you do the opposite. And so the opposite of flesh is actually how you treat other people. And so again, the whole point of freedom was for us to be free to love one another. I'll prove it to you. If I can get you free from pride, then you're going to be less easily offended all the time. Because some of y'all are so sensitive, you get offended about everything. And the reason why is because life is all about you. And if you were free from pride, when people said stuff about you or said stuff to you that was a little bit insensitive, it wouldn't bother you. It's the pride in you that gets ruffled up and so easily offended. Does that make sense? And so if I can get you free from, if I can get you free from greed, I can make you or help you to become a more generous person person. Are you hearing me? If I got you free from selfishness, I can make you a less angry person because we've already determined that anger comes from when I don't get what I want or I don't get what I think I deserve. So if life is less about self and more about Jesus and others, then I'm not going to be living in this constant angry state. And so the whole point of you moving towards freedom is it actually makes it easier for you to be in relationship with God and this is what you're going to see in relationship with those around you. Because that was the whole point. Are you with me so far? Watch, we'll keep going. Four, verse 14, four, the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is where, this is where Paul basically pulls a scripture out of the book of Deuteronomy. He pulls this scripture out and says, hey, now, I know there were a bunch of laws and rules, but don't forget and don't miss this big point. The whole point of any of these things was so that you could love your neighbor as yourself. The whole point of grace, the whole point of sonship, the whole point of freedom was so that you could love one another. That was the whole point. You got to remember when Jesus was walking around, this guy came up to him. He was a lawyer. He was trying to get Jesus to make a intellectual verbal mistake so he could make accusation against him. He said this, he goes, what are the two greatest commands in all the Bible? And remember, all they had was what we call the Old Testament. He goes, that's simple. He didn't even pause. He goes, that's simple. It's love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as 
yourself. This was the whole point from the beginning, that we would be in relationship with God and that we would be in loving relationship with one another and nothing has changed. So let's keep going. Verse number 16 says this. So, so in, like in light of this, in light of these facts that we're talking about, this is what I want you to do. Walk by the Spirit, and if you do that, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what's contrary to the flesh. They're actually in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. Have you ever, you, you, you've got to have experienced this, right? We're like, you're motivated to do the right thing. You're motivated to do the godly thing. You're, you're coming off the heels of a sermon or a sermon series, and you're like, yes, I'm going to be more patient. I'm going to be a better husband or a better wife or better whatever. And then you go out, and then all of a sudden you have this war being waged in you. Like, like cartoons kind of depicted it like this. Remember some old school Tom and Jerry? Like they got new school Tom and Jerry, but it's not the same. Old school Tom and Jerry, you realize how violent they were to each other? They were very mean to each other. It was a very violent thing. Dr. Spock would not have approved of Tom and Jerry. But in the Tom and Jerry and some of these other cartoons, do you remember what they depicted when they depicted the battle, the internal struggle that was going on? Do you remember what it was? There was a little Jerry angel over here and a little Jerry devil over here. And the little Jerry angel was trying to get him to be nice and good. And then the little Jerry devil was like, nah, man, take that axe and cut his foot off or whatever it was because that's how crazy Tom and Jerry was. And, and, and that was the way that it was depicted. I want you to know, like, they just stole that from the Bible. That Paul says, literally, and this is if you're taking notes, that there is a war going on within you. And the war is a war between the Spirit of God within you and your sinful nature that you were born with. So we've gone, and Paul's doing these contrasts. He's talking about grace versus law. He's talking about son versus slave. But then he gets to chapter 5. He says, hey, there's a contrast between God's spirit and your sinful nature. Because when you put your faith in Jesus, there's a, there's a piece of God that comes and dwells with inside of you. His name is the Holy Spirit, and he lives inside of you. But how many of you know that when you became a Christian, you put your faith in Jesus... It would have worked best if all of our sinful desires just, right? If all of our sinful desires just poof and disappeared and God took them away. Did that happen? No. Now, I don't know about you, but like there are certain things when I became a Christian, they did leave. Certain desires did go away. But there were others that have lingered for quite some time now, and I'm still wrestling with them. I'm still battling them. I've still got junk in my trunk that I would like out of my trunk. And this is the battle, the internal war that's being waged. And he goes, there's a war and they're fighting within each other. He goes, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. This is just kind of an add-on, going back to the idea of like, be careful. We're not going back to a law. Because what he's about to do, and check, check me here. What he's about to do is give you a list of bad things that come out of your flesh and good things that come from the Spirit of God. But he goes, hey, just be careful we don't... Look, the whole point is this. I'm not going to give you a list so that you can go back to saying, well, I kept the list today, so I was really good, and I broke the list today, so I was really bad. And then you go right back into legalism. He goes, that's not what we're talking about. So if, you just, if you'll just flow with me here, be led by the Spirit, you're not going to go back under this law system, this merit system, because we know that doesn't work anyway. So, so watch this. Let's keep going. Verse 19 says this. So he starts defining so he can be clear with you what this looks like. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Everybody say obvious. Obvious. 
I think he says this because I think he's drawing on the ideal that in our hearts as human beings, that God imprinted us with a moral code. That there ought to be some level of moral code within us that says, yeah, that's, that's a good thing. Like, in, and here, here's why we know this is true. In every culture on planet Earth, there are certain attributes that we admire. And then there are certain attributes, even in really, really lost cultures, that we dislike and we hate. Does that make sense? Like, in every culture, we, we really honor hard work and then we despise laziness, right? We, we honor telling the truth and we look down upon lie. There are just certain things that we get in our internal moral code. And he goes, and a lot of these things ought to be obvious to you. And then he starts a list. He goes, just so you know, they're obvious. Stuff like sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, enviness, drunkens, orgies, and the, somebody laughed, and the like. This is my junior hires out there. I'm just kidding. Everybody say, and the like. Where'd that go? Oh, right here. And, and the like. Which I love the fact that he put and the like on there because he's not, try, he's not saying, look, this is the list. It's all inclusive and you're either doing it or you're not doing it. He throws in and the like just to say, this ain't even like a conclusive. I'm just throwing out some ideas at you. Like this is just the general direction I'm talking about here. So anything like this, and if you ever wondered what in the like is this, what you'll really see is that anything that's in the like is anything that is unkind and dishonoring to another human being, or if it's dishonoring to God, anything that falls into those two categories, that flows out of our sinful nature. That's what he's talking about here. And I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, this is one of those points where, where depending on what church you grew up in, the guy got scary on you. Because the guy was like, did anybody have a sip of alcohol? You're going to hell. Did anybody? And I don't want to get back into the list because there's some crazy in that list. That's, can I just help you? That's not what that meant. To be in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God was a concept. It was this idea of what if you were so in fellowship with God and you were walking with God and God, because what, what does a kingdom have at the top of a kingdom? A king, thank you so much. So, so it's living in a realm, it's living in a state of mind and being and, and life and decisions where God is my king. I live underneath his rule and his reign, but I also reap his provision and his protection. And I live my life in relationship with God, walking in the ways of God. Therefore, I receive his abundant life. That's what the kingdom of God is. And he goes, if you do this, you're missing it. You're all, you'll always miss out on God's best for your life. You will always wonder why you live unsatisfied. You'll always wonder why things don't turn out for you. You'll wonder why you reap negative consequences in your life. And ultimately what you find is this, is that your sinful nature always produces bad outcomes in your life. It's just, it's just a byproduct. It's a fact. Here's what I need you to maybe get your head wrapped around. Because some of you look at sin in a very religious way. And I need you to look at it in a relationship way. Now watch this. Some of you look at it in a religious way as if God was out in the universe and made lots of good things and then made lots of other things. And then he said, them are bad things. You can't do them. God didn't make good things and bad things and then make you choose. Let me say that again. God did not make good things and then make bad things and make you choose. 
Sin is only the perversion of that which is God's good. I'll prove it to you. Go, go back to the list. So, so like, we're not going to get into all of them. We're not going to go one by one. But let, let's get into some of like. So he mentions like sexual perversion, right? He goes, he goes, avoid sexual perversion. You can't even have sexual perversion unless there was an authentic sexuality to pervert. So God made a good thing, which was designed for intimacy inside of marital relationship, and then sin is the perversion of a good thing. Are you, are you hearing me? So God didn't make good things and bad things and then say, don't choose the bad things. God only made good things, and then we figured out ways to pervert good things, because that's the way it is living in a world where you have choice. You have the ability to take good things and to make them bad things. I'll, I'll give you another one here. When he gives out jealousy, he goes, don't live in jealousy. The only reason you can have jealousy is because there's good things in the world to want to be jealous about. Are, are you hearing me here? He, he talks about anger. The only way you can have anger is to have passion. The only way for you to have division, he talks about divisiveness and division. The only way you can have division is to have the beauty of unity. So I need you to like get your head wrapped around this idea that God didn't make these things that are really, really cool and really, really awesome and then say, but you can't have those. And that's the way we feel sometimes. We feel as though God is keeping us from like the cool stuff. That's not at all what it is. That literally these are perverted things that will lead to negative outcomes in your life. And what he is, is he is a loving and wise heavenly father who's looking at his children and saying, this is the best. You experience my best, you walk down this path. You experience my best, you live in these ways. You experience my best, walk in a relationship with me. You want to experience my best, make these types of decisions. Now, if you want to live outside of that, and if you want to take everything good and pervert it, you, you can because you have a free will to go do it. I'm not going to control you, but I'm telling you it will always lead to negative outcomes in your life. Do you see the difference now? It's not about a list of do these and don't do those. It's about this is God's good. Live in that, walk in that. And anything other than God's good is some weird perversion that leads to some type of negative outcome. Let's keep going here. So verse 22, he flips it now. So he just did this whole list on what we call the flesh, right? And now he says, but the fruit of the Spirit. Remember, there's a war between your flesh, your sinful nature, and the Spirit of God within you. But the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is what? And there's a song. Did anybody do the song when they were kids? Raise your hand if you were a church kid, did the song. Two of you, thank you. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And there was this, we're going to keep going. Nobody is picking up on this song. Um, but the fruit of the Spirit, now listen, listen carefully as he gives this list. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, I want joy, peace, God, I want peace, patience, wish I was more patient, kindness, I always like kind people, goodness, that's good, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, definitely need some more of that, and against such, there is no law. So what he says is, he goes, there's a, there's a way to live in fellowship with God, where this is the byproduct. This is the fruit of your life. These are the outcomes of your life. It's not that you need to go and be, all right, I gotta be loving today. Check, I did that, okay? I gotta go be joy today. Check. He goes, no, no, it's not like that. It's actually as you walk with God, these things just keep boop, popping out. This is fruit that your life produces as a byproduct of walking with God. This isn't a checklist. This is the results of a life living in communion and fellowship with God. So if you ever felt, man, I, I, I wish I had more joy in my heart. I can tell you the goal is not to go and manufacture joy. That takes drugs, right? 
and then they wear off, and then you've got addiction and all kinds of weird issues. So, so that's, the goal is not to, for you personally to manufacture joy. The goal is for you to be in relationship with God, and then, boop, all of a sudden I had joy. I didn't know I had, but where did this, where did this come from? It came from a, a relationship with God, from walking with God's Spirit in your life. It's the byproduct. This is the same thing. If, if the flesh always produces negative outcomes, what does walking with the Spirit do? It produces these great and incredible outcomes in your life that we all wish we had and we all wanted. Because in and of ourselves, some of you are different. Some of you are born self-disciplined. You're born organizing your sock drawer and you're born cleaning things. And we love you. I live with you. I reap the rewards. But most of us don't have this natural inclination to self-discipline. I want some more of that, though. And I've found that the closer I walk with God, that there's more self-discipline there. The closer I walk with God, I, I, I'll, I'll prove it to you. This is on a big scale, but this is even on a small scale. I've found that when I have a good time, like personal time alone, whether I'm worshiping in the car, or I'm reading my Bible, and God speaks to me through the Scripture, that when I come up out of that little bubble, my little spiritual bubble of communion with God, I'm different. I'm nicer. I'm more patient. I'm kinder. And most people don't normally label me as these things. This is the, if you know me personally, you're not like, oh, he's the most gentle, kind. But I'm telling you, there's just something about being in the presence of God. Because what the fruit of the Spirit is really is this. The fruit of the Spirit is the character of God. This is what God is like. And for you to spend time with God and for that stuff to rub up off of you and be on you and it's like a fragrance and a smell and an attitude that you pick up on and that's the character of God. And so what God is really wanting for you in, in this life is for you to be in fellowship with him so all of a sudden these characteristics just keep popping out. And notice this, not only that, what I want you to see is this, the fruit of the Spirit is attractive, isn't it? I just want you to think, when you think about the best people Man, the best people you've ever spent time with, what are the characteristics that they have? There was something about them that was kind, that was, that was loving, that was joy. Have you ever been around like Debbie Downer? Being like, I love hanging out with Debbie. <laughs> Not you, I love you, Debbie. Debbie Downer, you lo you, do you love your stingy friends? I don't even know that you have any, right? Nobody likes being around them. The Spirit of God, the, the, the character of God, the fruit of the Spirit, this is attractive stuff. Here's the other thing I want you to see. Notice how the fruits of the spirits are all directly related to how you treat other people. Think about that for a second. So God wants to be in relationship with you, and the byproduct is you become a person that has great and dynamic relationships with people around them. Are you seeing this? This was the point of grace. This was the point about sonship so that you'd have great relationship with God and great relationship with other people as you walk by his spirit. We'll, we'll say it like this, just for all you religious people, I'm going to challenge you. The true reflection of spiritual maturity is reflected in how you treat other people. The fruit of the spirit is proof of that. So if you're out there and you claim to be a Christ follower, but you're rude and you're mean and you're stingy and you're selfish, Say you're with Scientology or some other group. <laughs> Say you're with the other, pick one, I don't even care. That's wrong, I shouldn't say that. Say you are an atheist, because they believe in nothing, therefore nothing is nothing. Right? You know what nothing is? 
that which rocks think about. (laughs) So don't be a Christian and say, I reflect God, and then go out and reflect everything that God isn't. Are are you hearing me today? Because if you want to, the truth, because there's a camp, there's a camp, I'm going to touch, there's like two percenters. There's a camp of you out there that believe because you keep the rules and you keep the laws and you start doing the law thing and you get arrogant and you get judgmental and you get hypercritical of other people, you abandon all these fruits of the faith. As a matter of fact, there are certain camps of Christianity that, that think they're better than other camps. Where in the world would that come from? Do you see the, 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 the hypocrisy in it? Hey, we're better than you because we're closer to God. Really? You're closer to God and that's where you got that attitude. Okay, perfect. I'm glad I've figured that all out now. He goes, no, true spirituality is not in how great you keep the rules and, and be pious and be religious and try to act super holy. He goes, that's ridiculous. True spiritual maturity is reflected in how you treat other people. So if you can memorize the book of Leviticus, but you treat your neighbor like crap, I don't care. Okay, let's move on. I digress. Let's wrap this up. It's 1109 if you're taking medicine. Um, so this is, this is how he closed. So he, he, he closes by saying this, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, and since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. We're going we're to close here. He, he wraps up with these two points of application. He goes back to this big idea of don't get hung up on the list. Don't start thinking, well, I didn't do these things today and I tried to do this. It's not about the list. What you'll find is this. He gives you this, this application. He gives you these two steps that he wants you to take. And guess what? They're ongoing steps. This is not something you're going to do today and then you don't ever have to think about. This is stuff that you have to do daily. Everybody say daily. Watch what he says to do. I'm going to reread it. He says, those who belong to Christ... You, you receive grace. You're in the family. You're sons and daughters. You, you are in. What do they do? They have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. How do I produce fruit in my life? Number one is this. He says the sinful nature must be crucified. Now I want you to think about that for a second. That's pretty graphic. That's pretty brutal. What he says is this. Because I, I want you to see this. The flesh, your sinful nature, will always be there. It will never completely be removed from your body until you are no longer in that body. Are you hearing me? So you're never going to completely remove yourself from that. So this will be an ongoing battle, spirit versus flesh, for the rest of your days on this planet. And that's okay because God's spirit is with you to help you. But here's what you need to do. Every time those sinful natures come about, every time they flare up, every time those desires and passions get working, I want you to take radical approaches to annihilate them. I want you to crucify them. I want you to do whatever, because I want you to see that Paul goes so far as to say, you remember the image of Roman crucifixion? Remember what they did to Jesus? You remember how brutal that was? Remember when we went to the Passion and we were like, oh my gosh, and we all cried? Remember that? I want you to do that to your sinful desires. Every time those sinful desires, I want you to do whatever you, let me repeat Jesus. Jesus, when he was talking about certain sins, he said, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out, and if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Now, I have never once cut off my hand or hurt my eyes. This was not literal. This was hyperbole. What he was doing was, he said, he's, he's ultimately saying this, take radical measures to remove this stuff from your life. 
take radical measures. So whatever your sinful nature and sinful desire is, man, take radical measures to get that stuff out of your life. But that's not it alone, right? Because he says the second part is this, is that if you want to produce the fruit of the Spirit, we are to be in fellowship with the Holy Spirit. This is the ultimate goal because he's asking you to do something that you can't do on your own. He said everything is about relationship. It's not about keeping a list. It's about being in a relationship and it gives you the power to take care of those sinful desires. And that's, that's really lived out when we walk in fellowship. There's four different places throughout this whole text where he says live by the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, stay in step with the Spirit, be in tune with the Spirit. He just keeps saying the same thing in different ways. What he's saying is this, is you need to live a life where you are in fellowship and in communion with the Holy Spirit. That's how you produce this great and incredible fruit. So have you ever thought, man, I want love in my life. Not like that, not like, not like match.com love. Not like, I want love in my heart. I want joy in my heart. I want, I'm tired of being depressed. I want joy in my heart. I'm, I'm tired of being impatient and rude. And I, I, want, I want kindness in my heart and patience in my heart. It comes from walking in fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Now that looks like so many different things to so many different people, but it's a conscious effort on your part to say, God, I want you active in my life. I want to be so aware of your presence. I want to have your words, like I want to read them and meditate them, I want to think of them and speak them and try to live them out. And, and I'm, I'm going to pray. And every time I find those sinful desires, I'm going to start praying, God, help me and give me the strength to overcome. And, and as I just keep trying and keep trying to connect, isn't that what you do relationally? If you want to connect with somebody relationally, what do you do? You shoot them a call. You shoot them a text. You go hang out with them. You go spend time with them. You find ways to connect. You do whatever it takes because that's what relationships are. And he's saying walk in relationship with the Holy Spirit. And here's what you're going to find. This is not a one-time thing. This is an ongoing thing. And I'll prove it to you. Last scripture and we're going to pray. In, in Luke chapter 9, Jesus says these words. He said to them all, whoever, that means it's available to anybody, Wants to be my disciple. You must deny yourself and take up what? Your cross. We get back to the idea of like, hey, if you really want to, to walk with Jesus, there's an element of you picking up the cross. Notice this is before Jesus died. He's saying this pre his own crucifixion. He wasn't drawing on an analogy. He was, he was literally saying, hey, you got to pick up the thing that puts to death your sinful desires and follow me. Meaning I want you so close to me. I want you in relationship with me. When, when you used to follow a rabbi around back in the first century, there was this thing where they enjoyed being close. There was this thing about whoever got closest to the rabbi was the cool kid. And the way that you knew who the cool kid was is because he was dirtier than everybody else. Have you ever heard this before? There was this old saying, it was this rabbinical saying that said, whenever you can, have the teacher stay in your home and share a meal and be covered by his dust. And the point was this, when you traveled down a road in these dirty, dusty, first century, Middle Eastern roads, they didn't have cobblestone, they were not paved roads, they were dirty, dusty roads. And whenever you walk on dusty roads, what do you kick up? So the rabbi would be at the front of the pack, and who would be the dirtiest person? The one that's closest to Rabbi Jesus. And he's saying, that's what I want from you. I want you to pick up your cross, and then I want you to be as close as you possibly can to me. I want you to walk with me, because we're going to be in fellowship. And this is something that you do, everybody say, daily. When we do that, listen, here's what I want for you. I want freedom for you. I want you to be so free that you're free to be in relationship with God. And you don't have guilt and weirdness there. And you can freely come in and worship and freely pray without any sense of hesitation or guilt. And I want you so free that you have great relationships with other people. And it happens. When we put to death that sinful desire that we're all born with. And we get relationally connected 
to the Holy Spirit in our lives. Let's pray this morning. God, I pray we said a lot this morning. We covered a lot of ground and a lot of verses. And God, I don't know what you want to say to them, but Holy Spirit, speak to them. What's the one thing they need to walk out of here remembering? What's the one thing that, that they need to carry away today? God, let this sermon be more than just a message that they, they listen to for 30, 40 minutes and then they forget. God, I pray that they would soak it in, that they'd listen to it again, that they'd go study the scripture on their own. Above all, they would walk in fellowship with you, God. Help us to draw closer and closer to you, Lord. That is our prayer in Jesus' name. And we all said... Amen. Can we give the Lord a big hand clap this morning? Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nvchurch.tv.